From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Imagine minding your own business one evening. Maybe you're driving home from work. It's dark out, and in all other ways, a typical evening. You're zoning out to whatever's on the radio, Taylor Swift or whatever band tickles your fancy. Your mind is drifting off to what you're going to have for dinner when you get home. When suddenly, you see an object out of the corner of your eye. At first, it looks like a bird off in the distance. But as it gets closer into view, you start to notice something strange. The thing, whatever it is, appears to be huge far larger than any typical bird that you've seen. And as it comes closer into view, it also appears to have human characteristics, like a cross between a man and a bird. And when it gets close enough, and the headlights of your car shine directly into its eyes, they glow red. I don't know about you, but I would be terrified. This all sounds like science fiction or something out of an episode of The X-Files. But that is exactly what multiple witnesses in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, claim to have seen between November 15, 1966 and December 15, 1967, and what witnesses as far as Chicago and Wisconsin still claim to see today. This week's guest, Tobias Wayland, is a researcher and paranormal investigator who has been looking into reports of the, quote, Mothman for years as the head writer, editor, and lead investigator for the Singular Fortean Society. Welcome to this week's episode, The Mystery of the Mothman, on From the Void. All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tobias, for coming on the show tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So this is, you know, as we we talked about a little bit before we started recording, this is one of my favorite topics because it's actually very close by uh, where I live. So I'm located in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and and primarily the sightings uh, took place uh, only a couple hours away from here in Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia. So kind of lay things out for people a little bit before we we get into what the actual settings were but talk about the the area that this happened and and kind of the the time frame sure well if 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 you're talking about the sort of uh, uh classic mothman flap in uh in point pleasant west virginia then um the majority of those sightings, at, at, at least the, the highly publicized ones, well, would have taken place between uh, 1966 and uh, 1967. Now, uh, if you talk to people who, who live out there, though, uh, really anywhere along the Ohio River Valley, uh, the, the sightings never really stopped in, in 1967. So uh, stories continue to come out of uh, that that area. And then uh, the the majority of the uh, the work that I've done investigating these winged humanoid sightings has actually been uh, much more recently. 
than the 1967 and uh, and around uh, Lake Michigan, which is, you know, hundreds of, of, of miles away, but but very similar in the uh, the uh, reports that we've been receiving about uh, what what people have been seeing up here. So, so starting back in the '60s, obviously that was kind of the first time that that people had kind of you know reported seeing this this winged humanoid. Uh, describe for folks who aren't familiar with with Mothman what what are some of the the um, the general characteristics and kind of the descriptions that people had given. Sure. So the uh, the the I guess to to put it in very general terms, like more or less what people would describe is. Uh, this winged humanoid creature with either bird-like or, or bat-like characteristics, um, you know, and just in the way they would describe its wings and, and, uh, and, and similar, uh, with these glowing red eyes. And they would, they would often, uh, describe the, the coloration of the creature itself as being very dark, either dark gray or, or black. And, um, and your general encounter with this being would be some variation of, you know, being out, uh, kind of going about your business and, uh, and encountering this, this winged creature very suddenly. And the experience is often accompanied by, uh, feelings of, of this very stark kind of, uh, raw fear, uh, and, you know, sometimes people would also report, uh, weird, uh, sort of accompanying paranormal phenomena in, in other aspects of, of their life. And so maybe they would have this sighting and then, you know, their house would act like it was haunted for, you know, a, a, a week or, or however long after, after the sighting, um, you know, often people would report uh, UFOs and, uh, and, and other sort of uh, anomalous phenomena also in, in these same sighting areas. So, um, you know, there was, uh, uh, quite a bit going on, I, I, I guess you would say. Yeah. It, in the area, uh, Point Pleasant is kind of, kind of interesting too, because there's some, uh, connection to the military post-World War II, right? Like there's some, uh, kind of munitions, uh, I, I guess, uh, storage facilities on the outskirts. Well, there, uh, there is a, uh, a decommissioned, uh, uh, munitions, uh, area, yeah, it's the old the old TNT area. Um, it's actually, at least as far as as I'm aware, uh, still is a, uh, a a Superfund site because the area was so heavily polluted due to the the manufacture of explosives in that area. Um, but it's you know it's it's not actively used for any any uh, munition storage or, or anything like that currently. Interesting. So, so talk a little bit about, um, there's a gentleman by the name of John Keel who kind of comes into the picture in the, uh, I think it was the late sixties who was kind of a famous UFO investigator. And he kind of comes into the picture and writes a book about, uh, the Mothman, which obviously for, for folks who kind of, uh, a rudimentary understanding of the Mothman probably remember the movie with Richard Gere, uh, some years back, but there's, there's definitely some, it, or at least it seems to be, uh, some, artistic liberty that maybe he took in the book. So uh, help me uh, separate a little bit of, of the fact from fiction there. So the, he kind of made some connections to maybe the UFO phenomenon. Were, were these things that were reported by the initial witnesses? Because there were quite a few, it seems like, uh, folks who, who kind of reported these encounters to local law enforcement. 
Sure. So when you look at the, uh, the, the Mothman prophecies as, as written by John Keel, um, and John Keel was one of my, my favorite authors, you know, growing up, I, I read, uh, quite a few of his books and and I still have them on my, my uh, bookshelf and I'll go back and, and, and revisit them because, you know, he was a very entertaining writer. He, he really, really was, he, he had a way with words and he was an excellent storyteller, um, but the thing about Keel is, as an excellent storyteller, he never really let the truth get in the way of a good story. And and you can see that represented probably best in the, the, the Mothman prophecies. And, you know, he spins this really elaborate narrative throughout, uh, sort of connecting all of these these uh, otherwise seemingly disparate events uh, in, in this relatively local area. Uh, surrounding the the winged humanoid reports um and you know frankly whether or not people choose to connect those to the actual winged humanoid settings that's that's up to the the individual to decide frankly um but there's also some stuff in there that um i i don't really like to gloss over as a a a matter of Opinion, um, probably most notably, would be the uh, the collapse of the Silver Bridge. So, for anybody not aware, the the Silver Bridge that spanned uh, uh, Point Pleasant uh, to uh, uh, Gallipolis, Ohio, uh, collapsed very tragically uh, due to a uh, uh, the failure of one of its its I beams, and so it collapsed in December of 1967, just before Christmas. And you know, something like uh, I believe it was 47. I I, I want to say, don't quote me on that. Uh, just right around four dozen people lost their lives um, as a result of this this bridge collapse. And when John Keel wrote his book in the uh, I believe it was the early 70s. Um, he included the the bridge collapse as a sort of a, a narrative ending to his his book and and sort of tied it into the uh, Mothman phenomenon. Now, there's not a shred of evidence, frankly, to uh, to to connect that. And prior to Keel writing his his book in the the seventies, you know, well years after, frankly. Uh, the, these events had occurred, nobody really was making that connection. You know, nobody in Point Pleasant certainly was was blaming this this bridge collapse on uh, winged humanoid sightings or even connecting them because they were too busy mourning the deaths of their their friends and uh, loved ones. And um, and so you know, while that uh, that unfortunate narrative has persisted, and and people have sort of applied this. Uh, label of of harbinger or or you know portent to uh to to mothman or or winged humanoid sightings um again like that was really something very much invented by by john keel for his book now my personal opinion is that as an excellent storyteller he knew that an audience wants a a tidy narrative they 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 want an arc and they need it to have a beginning a middle and an end like any traditional story does and the unfortunate reality about most of these weird phenomena that that we study is they don't have endings uh they're not neat they're not tidy and uh they they, they don't make for uh, very convenient storytelling uh, most of the time because you don't get this this nice closure. Well, 
he had the the silver bridge collapse and so it uh, it it really served that that purpose of of being a a, a very sort of convenient narrative ending to the the uh, book but unfortunately you know not only were people not really making that connection um but uh, but also the sightings never really stopped after that uh and so it it really does seem um to be really nothing more than a a, a contrivance added to uh to 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 sell books honestly that's very interesting. Yeah. So before, I mean, because I definitely want to talk about the continued sightings because, you know, in the movie, they, he, there clearly is kind of this cutoff, like all of a sudden after the bridge collapses, you know, no more sightings kind of occur. That's the inference kind of made. But one of the other aspects of the movie was this this um, uh, aspect where, you know, they would receive kind of mysterious phone calls and kind of almost predicting the future. Is Was that something also sort of kind of you know, added to, you know, produce a little more color for the book or was that something that, you know, was, was reported as well? Well, you know, as, as far as I know, um, you know, uh, a lot of that, um, was reported. Now I'm trying to remember specifically, um, and it's, you know, for anybody who hasn't read the the the, the book too, um, you really should because, especially you start getting towards the end, and uh, and you know, Keel will sort of talk about, um, you know, receiving information from you know people channeling ultra terrestrials and stuff, and it it really gets kind of far out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Keel certainly claimed to have received phone calls and, and I'm not in any, in any position to, um, say that he didn't, I wasn't there. Uh, and, uh, and, and I can't prove that he didn't. And so, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go on record as, as saying that he made it up or anything. Um, it's certainly, it's certainly possible. Yeah, one of the interesting aspects too. It, I remember uh, watching a, a documentary. I believe it was called "Eyes of the Mothman." Uh, it was very interesting. And there's this other component uh, that they talk about that also takes place around the same time. Oh, excuse me, same time frame uh, outside of uh, Point Pleasant, and that's this uh, this character, this figure that shows up uh, named Indrid Cold. Uh, and it seems like maybe there was some tie in there as well. Is that sort of uh, something that you've encountered in your, in your research as well? Well, I mean, that's, that's one of those things that I, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, it, it, it took place in, in sort of the same local area. And so, um, you know, you had uh, uh, Keel uh, who basically sort of, he sort of took every weird thing that happened around this town that he could find and, and folded it into one narrative. Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 uh, Woodrow Derenberger, uh, injured cold, uh, you know, UFO occupant encounter, um, you know, that, that, that happened relatively, uh, close to the, the winged humanoid sighting areas. And so, um, it was folded into this, this narrative by Keel. Um, you know whether or not they're actually connected is is arguable, of course. But um, uh, honestly, once it like once that was done, like once all of this stuff was was taken uh, by this in, investigator and uh, and writer and put into this book, there's no 
separating uh, these these phenomena anymore in the the published uh, the public consciousness. I mean, they've been um, like they're just so intertwined at at this point as a result of him saying, "Hey, this is connected," uh, you know, due to to geographic proximity. Um, that uh, yeah, at, at at this point, at least as far as uh, I think the the popular narrative uh, around excuse me those sightings are are concerned they they are connected although you know to my um to my knowledge i mean the the, the connection again is really one of of relative geographic proximity um so uh, it seems a little tenuous to me but you know i guess again any anything's possible and it's kind of a shame too, because I think both stories, in and of themselves, are very interesting, uh, you know, separately. And so, you know, you've got this this site, these sightings, multiple sightings, uh, but multiple witnesses uh, describing this this winged creature who's the size of a human being, you know, with these massive wings and red eyes. And then you've got this this character, this figure, Andrew Cold, who uh, we should probably describe for folks. It's kind of a kind of a uh, creepy uh, you know description of this this almost like humanoid figure uh, so tell tell people a little bit about that because there's this um, it kind of begins with this uh, sewing machine salesman who's on his way home on this dark kind of cold and rainy night like every good horror movie starts you know and um, he's kind of stopped on his way home by this this object and then encounters this human looking you know, being so, so tell people a little bit about what, what, what are the details behind that case? Well, sure. So, I mean, um, uh, essentially what, uh, what Derenberger described was, um, I believe, well, there are, uh, a couple of, of conflicting accounts as far as the actual, you know, uh, UFO, uh, described because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been, uh, related as either appearing to be in an automobile, or at least he thought it was in an automobile at first. Um, but then in, uh, in, in other descriptions, uh, I've seen it um, as uh, being described as uh, the same shape uh, as a uh, kerosene lamp, actually. And so basically, you know, yeah, he's he's driving and he's overtaken by this uh, this unidentified flying object um, that uh, that lands in front of him. And, uh, you know, out of this object comes this man, uh, seemingly normal looking man uh, who is smiling and communicates, you know, with uh, with Derenberger through uh, uh, telepathy. And, um, you know, they have a, a relatively mundane conversation and, and then he he leaves again and uh, reportedly, uh, you know, Dar- and I don't know probably uh, as much about this, this particular encounter and the, the subsequent encounters. Um, but, yeah, I mean, reportedly then he had uh, he had other contacts with this being uh, after this initial sighting as 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 well. And uh and because of, of where it took place, um, you know, Keel uh, sort of connected it to the, the, the winged humanoid sightings. What, what's interesting to me about this case, too, is like you, you've got this one individual who claims to have had this encounter. But then uh, it seems to be there are some reports that there were some others who had a same encounter on the same road in the same evening. 
Um, I can't remember if it was like two truck drivers or something like that, but there are two gentlemen who claim to have also encountered injured cold and describe him in much the same way with this over-exaggerated smile and uh, asked them a number of questions that seemed very strange to them. You know, like he was fascinated by like one their ballpoint pen or something weird. And it seems to me like if you're going to make up a story about a UFO encounter, that's not typically like the type of story you would fabricate. You know, you would say, oh, you know, I had this great conversation about this alien being who came from Zeta Reticuli or what, you know, or whatever, but you don't typically make up, you know, this, this narrative that says, yeah, he asked me a bunch of weird questions. You know, it's, it's kind of unusual on that, in that regard. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, uh, I've, I've never really, uh, considered, uh, Derenberger to be particularly unreliable, uh, in terms of, you know, having fabricated the story or, or anything like that. I, I think that, um, in all likelihood, you know, he was relating um, some some kind of experience that certainly was real to him. And uh, and and you're right. If somebody was going to deliberately manufacture a story, I don't think that that's the one that they would manufacture. You know, I, I think when people uh, hoax things, they have a tendency. You know, well, it 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 really turns into their creative writing project, frankly. And so you'll see at least some semblance of, uh, of, of narrative structure and some kind of story that makes any kind of sense. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you would be pretty unlikely to receive a, a host account with, with those sort of like nonsensical elements in them, which, uh, sort of ironically, I think, uh, lends the story more credibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So getting back to, uh, you know, the, the Mothman uh, sightings, obviously you and I, you know, were, were born long after, you know, these, these original cases uh, back in the 60s. So what got you interested in, you know, the topic of the Mothman? Oh wow! I mean, this was uh, this would have been 2017, and uh, and like I, I mentioned earlier, the the majority of my work with winged humanoids was uh, due to a series of sightings around Lake Michigan. So I actually live in southern Wisconsin, and um, you know, while I I had always been interested in in Keel's work, and you know, I had read the Mothman prophecies before, I had never really felt like I needed to dig any deeper into it until this, uh, this other flap of, of sightings began. And so, you know, at that time, this would have been spring of 2017. Uh, my, my wife, Emily and I had started the singular 40 in society, which is an investigative and, and journalistic endeavor, um, that, that we had, uh, started in, in 2016. And so I was, you know, I was writing news articles for the the Singular Fortean Society, and I had seen a, uh, a trio of uh, weird winged creature reports uh, released by the Mutual UFO Network, and uh, and these reports all came out of Chicago, and I was intrigued naturally. You know, like like anybody in uh, in my line of work would be. And so, um, you know, I, I, I picked the, the story up and uh, MUFON didn't have a lot of information about it, frankly. 
Uh, and then, you know, subsequently after I was able to speak to the, the state director uh, for, for MUFON in Illinois, they never were really able to, to follow up on or, or really investigate those, uh, those first trio of, of citing reports that, that I had come across. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, I wrote a short article for it. Like I said, there wasn't a lot of information, um, you know, kind of uh, compared it to, to some other winged humanoid reports, notably the, uh, the, the Point Pleasant, West Virginia stuff. And then I thought that was just going to be the end of it, you know, and uh, it would just be one uh, relatively short, weird article and, uh, and, and people would probably enjoy it, but we would all forget about it by next month. Um, but that's not what happened. And uh, next thing I knew, all of these other reports were coming in from uh, from that area, and they were coming into these other the, these other websites uh, like Phantoms and Monsters and uh, UFO Clearinghouse. And um, and so, you know, at a certain point, I felt like in order to cover this story properly, I needed to reach out to the guys behind those sites. And so, I reached out to Lon Strickler and uh, and Manuel Navarrete and, and inter, uh, interviewed them both independently. And it uh, wasn't too long after that that due to uh, our proximity to where a lot of these were, were happening, um, we were asked to, uh, to to join that investigation, which worked out pretty well because by the time things you know really started picking up in terms of, of those uh, particular uh, winged humanoid sightings, we were starting to get sighting reports of our own. And for the longest time, I really held off uh one you know making the the comparison to the the point pleasant uh, mothman sightings because i felt like initially you know it would seem a little sensationalistic and uh, and that's the last thing that i i wanted to do i wanted to to cover these reports as they came in and the investigation behind them as 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 accurately and um as as objectively as possible and so it really wasn't until probably a year in where I felt like the similarities were undeniable, you know, um, they, they had so much in common, you know, as far as the description of the actual creature. And then you had those feelings of fear, uh, again, and, you know, you had UFOs and, um, and, and other humanoids and things were reported in, or near the, the the same sighting areas, and uh, and so it all just felt very very similar to me. And at that point, is when I started uh, referring to whatever people were seeing as the the, the Lake Michigan Mothman. Um, and then you know here we are today, uh, four years later. So like the reports that you're starting to get of of these uh, these sightings. Um, are they still continuing to this day? Like, is there a certain period of time, you know, that, that most of these reports are, are coming in? Well, you know, I, th- I think the, the majority of the reports probably happened in, in, two, in 2017, but they are ongoing. And, uh, and interestingly, just like uh, the um, Ohio River Valley reports, you know, that, that you see all along uh, that area of West Virginia and Ohio, um, they they do appear to be to be ongoing, you know, um, and 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 they do appear to have been happening for for quite some time. Uh, I think the oldest uh, historical report that I received directly from a witness came from 1957, uh, and that would have been, um, you know, in sort of central Illinois. And then 
as far as like recent reports, um, you know, uh, I don't have my timeline in front of me, but we are still receiving them as recently as, as 2021. Uh, you know, I've, uh, there was an, an interesting one and, 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 I, I should uh, emphasize as well, when I say receiving reports, um, that could be me or, you know, uh, us here at the Singular Fortean Society. That could be, um, you know, uh, MUFON. That could be uh, Lon over at Phantoms and Monsters or, or Manuel over at, at, at UFO Clearinghouse. And and um, sort of my, my willingness to lend my personal credibility to the reports varies, you know, given uh, or dependent upon my uh, my personal involvement or or level of contact with the the uh, witnesses, but you know we have personally here at uh, at the Singular Fortean Society received credible reports, you know, very, very recently, and and so it does seem like uh, this is an uh, in, in ongoing phenomenon with with potentially no end in sight, and and that's sort of what I was. Uh, talking about before, you know, ties into that directly because at, at no point can you just say, okay, well, this thing happened and now it's over and here's the book on it. And it's the only one you'll ever need because it's over now. Um, it just, it, it, it just isn't working that way. And it, and it really never worked that way. It didn't work that way back in, in Point Pleasant. It's just, you know, uh, books, books sell better if they have a, a, a good narrative ending. Absolutely. So when you're starting to receive some of these reports or as you receive these reports and the ones that, that you, you, know, you talk to these witnesses and you're like, yeah, this, this is definitely a credible uh, source here. What, what are they describing? Like what, what is the, are they interacting in any way with, with these, uh, uh, these creatures or is it, is it just sort of kind of off in the distance? Like what, what kind of reports are you getting? Sure. So the, the the level of of interaction is um, is is very low. You know, sort of in in terms of um, you know people directly interacting with with this this creature that they're reporting. Um, you know, I, I can give you an example of a, a relatively recent one that uh, that that we were able to investigate pretty well. Uh, this would have been, uh, the end of, uh, 2020. So, uh, actually Thanksgiving night, uh, 2020, uh, there were, uh, two young women and they were out driving around, uh, Oregon, Wisconsin. And so for anybody not familiar with that area, um, Oregon, Wisconsin is, it's, it's a pretty small town and there's not a lot to do out there. And for anybody who grew up in the, the, the Midwest, you're probably, familiar, uh, especially if you're from a, a small town, uh, with the idea of just driving around because you don't have anything else to do. And so they had this route that they like to take around Oregon. And um, and they were driving it that night, as, as they often did, and listening to the radio. And they noticed that their radio was uh, malfunctioning in this one particular area, which is an intersection uh, again, kind of out in the the, the middle of, of nowhere, and um, and they thought that was very strange. And as they're passing this this intersection, you know, during one of their their loops around this town, they saw this thing swoop down uh, over the 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 only light in that area. And so the only light in in that area is this uh, this single street light. And, uh, and so they saw this thing swoop down over this street light. And um, they described it, you know, fairly typically 
of uh, of of these sightings as being this this sort of large winged humanoid shape and uh and they said that it swooped down in front of them and and across the road and uh and and then it was gone but then one of the uh the uh young women the the, the passenger as you know of course they, they they freaked out for a second um but they decided that 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 they were going to keep going and uh and kept driving um their their route you know and uh, as they're coming back, you know, like they're, I think, kind of hopeful that that, that they'll see it again, but reluctant because they 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 were um, freaked out. I, I I think would be appropriate. Um, and so, as they were coming back again, uh, one of the, the young uh, young women, the the passenger in the car, said that she saw this thing, this you know, sort of bulky humanoid uh uh with the this uh, large uh, like wing shape at that time um she said she saw it standing in this field and she saw these glowing red eyes the the, the driver didn't see it because you know they they had driven past it and and, and then it was gone but um you know they they had seen it a, a a couple of times and so they uh they actually ended up reaching out to a friend of mine, uh, uh, Jesse Durdell over at uh, the National Cryptid Society. And he reached out to me, um, be, you, know, you know, as he often does, if he gets one of these weird reports, um, you know, a, a lot of our friends do that, actually. They'll they'll get a, a report, you know, maybe into their own site or, or organization or, or whatever, and then they'll send it our way um, because they, they know that that's kind of one of the things that we do over here. And, you know, so I was able to, to speak to them directly, of course. And, um, and it was interesting, you know, because they, they talked about their radio, uh, sort of glitching in this one particular area. They said that it would get very staticky and, and, um, you know, that it would, it, it, it would seem to play a station that I was, you know, that was on the other end of the dial and, and, and all of this weirdness. And so I thought, well, I can work with that, you know, um, we uh, we found out exactly where the the sighting area was, and, uh, and Emily and I kind of loaded up some cameras and uh, and and we we took off to go check it out. And so you know normally if we were uh, driving and trying to shoot footage uh, uh, for an investigation, I would turn the radio off. But I, I decided, of course, to leave it on this time, and I didn't really notice anything unusual with our our radio in that area. However. Once we got home and we checked our uh, footage, the the video we had shot while we were there, I uh, we noticed this weird audio interference um, across multiple devices that had been recording video, and and it was just bizarre. It's like this this popping and and, and hissing noise, and it only happens in this relatively small area around this intersection so you know I, I turned the camera on well before we got to the actual intersection so i could film us you know driving up to it and uh and there is this point where everything's fine everything's recording normally and then we cross this sort of invisible barrier and the interference starts and you know then we drive up to the intersection we turn right uh we you know, continue down that road and we go out of this area, whatever, you know, uh, what, whatever it is. And, and we leave the area and the audio interference stops. 
Hmm. And of course, we don't know any of this is happening, you know, while we're we're recording. Um, everything seemed fine. And so, you know, I turn around and I go back and sure enough, we get to the same spot uh, where it had previously ended. And now that we're headed back into it, it starts again. Um, and so that was bizarre. And uh, and after we noticed it, we thought, well, hey, you know, we have to go back. And so uh, a couple of weeks later, we, we went back and and sure enough, the same thing happened in the same area. Only this time it was much less pronounced. And so while we were out there that time, I thought, well, you know, we should look for anything that that might be able to cause this, you know, Um, anything that that might be interfering with any recording devices. And so, you know, I was looking for giant satellite dishes or ham radio towers, uh, electrical transformers, anything like that. And, and, And there isn't anything like that. Um, and so I'm just at a, a, a total loss because, you know, obviously I, I understand anybody hearing these uh, the, these young women's story um, might be dubious because, you know, the idea of something like a, a large winged humanoid like that, it, it, it does sound outrageous, you know, frankly, if, if you haven't experienced it. But then, you know, for us to go... And um, and have something strange like that happen in this same area, uh, it, it it certainly lent the report some additional credibility. You know, having sp- uh, spoken to the witnesses myself, uh, they they certainly seemed, um, you know, uh, credible in 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 that I felt they were authentically relating their experience to me. You know, which is about the best you you can really do in terms of of recording that that kind of anecdotal evidence you know but then of course to go out there and actually have something strange that was very similar to something that that they had reported uh happened to us as well well that uh, to me at least makes things more interesting yeah absolutely and and what's fascinating to me about that is that uh the interference with you know radio technology of that kind seems to be something that's often reported with ufo uh, sightings as well. So that, that is kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, and, and, and that's another similarity, uh, but like between these, uh, you know, seemingly otherwise disparate, uh, phenomena, you know, but they are again, of course, often reported in the, the same areas, you know, I've, I've spoken directly to, uh, uh, more than one witness who has had themselves a a UFO sighting uh, in basically the exact same area that that they um, you know either had or later had uh, a, a winged humanoid sighting, and so it's not even just other people uh, reporting you know UFOs and things in in, in the same area. Sometimes it's the witness themselves. Uh, who will, you know, have had a, a, a UFO sighting. Interesting. So it's, it's kind of the, uh, obviously this is getting into like a speculation here, but is the general consensus that these these beings, these, uh, these creatures are uh, in some way uh, alien in nature? Well, I, you know, that, that makes an assumption um, that... UFOs are are alien in nature. Now I'm I'm one of those UFO purists who, when I say UFO, I, I really do mean unidentified flying object. Um, 
Because I, I don't know that they are extraterrestrial in nature. You know, certainly you look at, at somebody like John Keel and, uh, and and he very much did not believe that they were extraterrestrial in nature. Um, you know, he had the uh, he had what he liked to call uh, ultra terrestrials, which uh, he, uh, he he described as, as sort of this uh species or or maybe you know many related species who knows but these beings that um that existed alongside of us and and had for a a very very long time and so we sort of share this this world with them and uh, and maybe they exist in in dimensions that we can't perceive uh or in a, a state that that isn't readily you know perceptible to us but uh, in in any case, you know they don't come from anywhere out there. Uh, you know they 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 exist on Earth, you know, with us and and, and have possibly forever. Um, and so I'm, I'm not saying that that is necessarily the case, but you know I would I would allow for that as a, a possibility. And and because of that, you know I I don't like to conflate the term UFO with you know, extraterrestrial craft or, or alien spaceship. Now, if, if we're talking about, uh, alien, uh, insofar as, you know, something, um, outside of, of humanity, you know, uh, some, you know, something that, that is inhuman and, uh, and sort of alien to, to us as a species, then, you know, yes, certainly, uh, if, if it exists outside of the, the, the human mind, then sure. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's, there's any doubt that it could be anything else. So, uh, I know there are, you know, obviously a lot of skeptics out there who are like, I, I don't know, is it, you know, it, some sort of uh, misidentification? Cause obviously, you know, a lot of these, these encounters seem to happen at night. Uh, I think mm. even the original sheriff, you know, was convinced that it was a, a some breed of crane or something. Um, I've heard owls suggested, uh, you know, some sort of bird, essentially. So for for folks who are more on the skeptical of the skeptical nature, uh, who are like, these are just people who are misidentifying things at night. And it's the red eyes thing. It's a reflection of light or headlights, you know, uh, and that, you know, that that sort of thing. Uh, in your research, you know, why why do you think that that perhaps these are uh, something of a nature that we have not encountered before. And we're not just seeing some sort of uh, bird variety. Well, you know, honestly, some of them are misidentified birds. And, uh, and, and I think it's very important to, to note that, you know? Um, so if you look at, especially the sightings in like 2017 and 2018 in, in more urban areas, um, a lot of those probably are like, I can give you an example uh, which really allowed me to create this sort of profile for what, you know, are likely misidentified birds. So there was a gentleman in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. And he was bicycling to work one day and uh, he saw this couple on the street corner and they were uh, pointing at something and, and, and looking at something in the sky. And uh, he looked up and he saw what he later described to me as a, either a giant bat or a man in a wingsuit. And because he was bicycling to work, he had a GoPro camera on his helmet and he decided he was going to follow this thing around and record as much footage of it as as possible. And and he did. And he was very forthcoming with that footage, he even sent us like the uh, original SD card he was on and everything. And um, 
And with his help, because it was a GoPro camera, so it's not a great camera, and it wasn't really easy to find this thing that uh, that that he had seen on there. But we, you know, we did locate this object, and and uh, I honestly, what I ended up having to do is I put it into Photoshop, and I just went through it frame by frame uh, to try to pick out several good frames that that you know would would actually show this thing. And and I was able to do that, and I blew it up. And it was a bird. It's absolutely a bird. That's it's it's undeniable that that what he had actually seen was a, a bird, you know. And this was in broad daylight. Um, and uh, and and I don't think for a second that he was trying to hoax anything. I, I don't think that he was making it up. I think that he literally did see something that was outside of his experience. And uh, and and I think that that um, sort of led him. To, to believe that that he had seen something other than a, a large bird. And, and and it probably was a very large bird, you know, because um, I don't want to get too into it because, you know, it, it would take a, a, an awfully long time. But um, now there are real scientific reasons why you see more like herons and things uh, roosting in, in urban areas like Chicago. And it basically boils down to climate change and the destruction and, and the destruction of their their wetland habitats but you know it's it's likely that he saw a great blue heron or something which is a huge bird and um and and you know must uh, basically mistook it for for something else now you'll note that in his report it was really missing all of the weird sort of paranormal details that you see in the reports that i think certainly aren't uh, misidentifications of large birds or that rather if you uh, you know listen to the, the the witness reports couldn't possibly be uh, 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 misidentified large birds and so you know really what that that Pilsen uh, report did was um, really uh, allowed me to solidify this profile uh, this profile of reports that probably are misidentified large birds and note how, because at that time we had been receiving the, these reports that that weren't really spectacular, um, you know, in that they really were lacking a lot of the the weird, you know, sort of high strangeness aspects that uh, that you really traditionally associate with the the, the Mothman sightings. Um, and so once you know, once we got that that Pilsen report and uh, and figured out that it was a bird it really allowed me to sit down and say okay so some of these reports definitely are um and if they're missing certain aspects and and the witness is describing something this way um then you know it's it's definitely possible and the reason that's important and i think the reason that that should be important to skeptics is that if you know i don't do my due diligence and i don't point out the cases that can be explains, you know, that that have likely prosaic explanations, why would anybody believe me about the actual weird stuff? And so by the time I get to a report and, and, and I'm telling you that I couldn't find any prosaic explanation for that report, I would hope that, you know, you might take that a little more seriously given the work put into trying to uh, find any, you know, mundane explanation for these sightings first.
Yeah, I think that I think that just goes a long way uh, in, in lending credibility uh, to the work. Uh, I, I think there's so many people out there in the field that, unfortunately, sort of muddy the waters. You know, they're they're just too eager. You know, because we all you know we're interested in this field because it's fascinating. It's something that is outside of the uh, the norm, and you know I want these things to be as real as the next person, but. Uh, I think there are too many people that are too willing to jump there immediately as, as opposed to, you know, taking a step back and saying, okay, let's try to eliminate all the things, you know, uh, you know, that, that it could be that are fall within the realm of possibility. And then when we're left with nothing else, then saying, okay, maybe this is something that is outside uh, the, the usual. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I I really couldn't have said that any better myself. Um, that's that's certainly what what we we try to do. Um, you know, and 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 I I stand by our our work, and I I think that you know that that's something that has really come through in this uh, in investigation, at least how you know we've we've handled it here. Um, you know, and it's 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 really interesting to me. Uh, because we are sort of left with these reports that aren't easily dismissed and and, and at least not easily dismissed to me, you know, and, and one thing I I think uh, is too easily forgotten, Um, you know, especially if you're reading a report, you know, in a book or online or, or just hearing me talk about it, you know, on a podcast or radio show or, or television or or whatever, um, is that there are real people behind these and, uh, and, and, at, at the very least, when when I'm going and talking about a, a report that uh, that that we received here that I really stand behind, I spoke to that person. I spoke to them directly, and it is difficult to replicate in a way that I think people can fully appreciate the impact that these sightings have on people. You know, um, often. Yeah, I will find myself speaking to another adult who is terrified, scared, you know, to to speak of their experience still. You know, um, you know, I, I remember we had a case out in uh, McGuanago, Wisconsin, um, that that really stuck with with Emily and I both because this gentleman, you know, he was he was very welcoming and 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 was willing to take us out and uh show us around the, the sighting area and, and everything and is sort of typical of witnesses when when they do that with us. Um, even though it was broad daylight on a beautiful spring morning when he was out there taking us around, you know, he's still sweating, um, you know, visibly upset telling this this story. And uh, and he's not alone. We've we've had uh, other witnesses uh, with with whom we have spoken, um, you know, who reacted the the same way and they're not getting anything out of this frankly which is something else people need to understand like there's there's no real benefit to people sharing these reports with 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 us and having us investigate them other than the kind of cathartic release you could expect from somebody who has had a very impactful experience and and just needs to talk about it and needs to try to understand it because certainly there's there's no monetary gain for for anybody involved. Um, they're not getting famous. Um, you know, they're they're really all they're getting out of it is the the relative comfort of somebody taking them seriously 
and uh, and trying to help them understand these experiences at least as as much as as any of us are are, are capable of of understanding them. And so, you know, while it is easy to dismiss them out of hand, once you have sort of removed yourself from that human element, I really, really really caution people from doing that and just urge everyone to remember that behind every one of these reports is an actual human being. Yeah, that's, that's such a great, great point to make. Um, yeah, that was, you kind of, kind of, uh, got into, uh, kind of my last question for you, which was, uh, you know, to, uh, to kind of tell me about one of your favorite cases, maybe one of the more interesting cases that you've encountered, uh, in, in your research. Sure. So, well, I mean, honestly, you know, that 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 McWanago one, it, it, it is interesting. But, you know, a, along those same lines, uh, there was one that I, I know Emily and I both sort of regard as is one of the most interesting ones to us. And this would have been in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, uh, February of 2019, I believe. And uh, there was a gentleman um who uh, who who lives down there with his wife, and he had gone out to Walgreens to, I believe, pick up some milk. Just a totally mundane errand. Certainly, the last thing he expected to do was encounter the impossible. But um, that uh, is, according to his testimony, uh, exactly what happened. So you know, he's headed home from picking up this milk, and his route takes him past the uh, Dewfield Pond uh, conservation area. In, uh, in in Woodstock, Illinois there. And, um, and as he is approaching the entrance, he sees something uh, leaving this con- this conservation area. And so it's uh, it's 8 p.m. or so in uh, in February. So it's already dark outside. He's got his headlights on and um, and illuminated by his headlights, he sees what he described as this large, uh, bulky, sort of hairy figure with these uh, huge, uh, bat or, or gargoyle-like wings um, coming out of its its back, I guess, and uh, and he sees this thing walking, and uh, it takes you know two, three, four strides, and it's all the way across the road, and um, and and that's it, and then it's gone, you know. Uh, so the whole sighting would have been over in in seconds, but he said, you know, he was very close to this thing, and he got a very very good look at it. And this is one of those witnesses that, um, you know, I spoke to over the phone and uh, and he agreed to uh, Emily and I going down there and and I met him and I, I met his wife and they they very uh, kindly took us out to this sighting area um, and uh, and showed us around and and, you know, showed us where everything happened. And um, there, you know, there there's just no evidence at all to point towards them either one of them wanting to support something that that they didn't fully believe in this case you know like these people now i'm not going to um i'm I'm not going to to dox them or anything but i can tell you like these these people are professionals with with careers in in their community and they had everything to lose uh, by being attached to this kind of story, uh, certainly they gained nothing other than uh, the, uh, the 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 sort of cathartic uh, release that comes from telling these stories and, and being able to have someone take you seriously and then help you you know try to understand it. I mean that's really 
the only benefit um, that that they would have received. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to to go down there, be able to speak to them face to face, and see obviously how uh, impactful this experience had been on this gentleman. Um, and then, you know, after that, to to receive other reports in in that area, you know, uh, lent credibility to to his story as well. And so that's one um, that uh, that I you know I, I think I'll probably always carry with me. Yeah, that's that's huge. It's one thing to have you know one or two credible witnesses, but to have multiple reports by unrelated credible witnesses in the same geographical area has just got to. I mean, that just you know, it lends even more credibility to, to, to that case. Yeah, definitely. Um, interestingly enough, one of the, uh, the reports there, now this was one that, uh, I, I would have written off probably except that it led to, you know, actual, uh, documented, uh, evidence of the, the, the sighting. Um, and so basically what, what had happened was after we had written, uh, and published an article about that, first Woodstock uh, sighting, we, we received an, an email from a, a gentleman in that area who said that he had seen the, the same thing um, and that he had, you know, called the, the police about it. So he, he was outside of the, the Jewel Osco in the parking lot in like the wee hours of the morning. It was like two or 3 a.m. Um, and, uh, and he said he saw this thing and that it, it charged the fence before taking off and that he was so scared that that he called 911. And so naturally, you know, I responded to this email and I said, Hey, you know, would you be willing to be interviewed uh, uh, about your experience? And do you think you can get me a copy of that police report? And well, I, I never heard back from him. And so, you know, normally when that happens, I, you know, I just assume that there, that, um, well, I, I guess I, I don't really assume anything. What I'm trying to say is usually when that happens, I don't have enough information to go on to uh, to publish in an in, in article, certainly. Uh, and if, if if I do release it at all, it's usually, you know, in our, our reports from the void, uh, you know, column, which is basically for stuff that we weren't ever able to, to uh, investigate properly. However, because he said that he had called the, the police, that was a lead. You know, so I, I contacted the uh, McHenry County Sheriff's Department because that's their jurisdiction. And um, I filed a, a FOIA request with them, you know, gave them the specific information that I had. And sure enough, uh, not too long after that, uh, they delivered this incident detail report. Now, there was no uh, uh, official report filed as, as you would think of one necessarily because no crime had been committed. But there was an incident detail uh, report showing that uh, this gentleman had called 911 and that a sheriff's deputy had responded and that while he didn't find, you know, any monster or anything like the rest of the this this gentleman's uh, story as far as, you know, being uh, upset or frightened enough to call the police actually happened. Wow. And he wasn't. Yeah. And he wasn't charged with, you know. Uh, uh, filing a false police report or, or, you know, 
whatever the equivalent crime would be for calling 911 uh, uh, without good cause or, or, or whatever. Like he wasn't charged with anything like that. Um, and so, you know, there's no reason to believe that that's what happened necessarily. And so, yeah, I mean, that was it, it, it was just an, an interesting uh, piece of, of sort of corroborative evidence, I think. Yeah, that's that is fascinating. Um, so thank again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this is such an interesting topic. Uh, before I let you go, though, uh, where can folks go to stay up on top of the work that you and your wife are doing and uh, the investigations that you guys are involved in? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And then uh, if you're interested in uh, what we do at the Singular Fortean Society, you can find us at our website, singularfortean.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, look for us on every social media platform. We're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and uh, Instagram. And so you can follow along with the Singular Fortean Society there. Uh, if you're interested in uh, either of my books, uh, you, of course, can find them on Amazon or you can go to singularfortean.com slash books where uh, we do offer autographed uh, copies. And if you're interested enough in what we do that you want to be a part of it, uh, I encourage you to check us out at patreon.com slash singularfortean. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll have all those links in the show notes. And uh, again, just really appreciate your time uh, tonight. This has been absolutely fascinating. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate being here. What did those witnesses really see back in the late 1960s? Was it just a misidentified bird? Or was it a creature not yet identified by science? Or was it something from another realm altogether? And what about the witnesses that continue to see it today? For now, the best we can do is to continue to keep our eyes to the sky and hope we eventually capture evidence that will provide us answers once and for all. Until then, I'll be back next week with an all-new mystery. Thanks as always for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes and leaving us a nice review. It helps us get noticed. And the most helpful thing you can do is tell a friend to check us out. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single new episode and check out all our past episodes from Season 1. They're all available anywhere you find your podcasts. Until next week, I'm your host John Williamson, and you've been listening to From the Void.